Welcome to another episode of the Shredder Show, and great pleasure to have great friend today uh, on the show, Mr. Pete Cohen, for us in the first episode of 2022, as scary as that sounds. Pete is uh, an incredibly motivating, inspiring man. He is a life coach and motivational speaker, and also just speaking to him about being an entrepreneur as well. So he has a plethora of experience in terms of motivation, mindset shift, which is really what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so thank you for your time, Pete. That's a pleasure. That's a pleasure. Really pleased to be here, and uh, let's see what we can what we can come up with. You know, maybe we'll make a difference somewhere along the line. One hundred percent. Now, coming into people's thought process of the whole new year, new me thing, the new start is something I've always been quite adverse to. What are your thought process on that? Well, I suppose it's a time of year where a lot of people are thinking about the year that's ahead. But I, I'm unlike you. I think it's a bit strange. Why? Why do we have to wait until that day to decide to do something? I think it's an excuse for, for most people to be able to just do what they want over the festive period and then say, you know what, January, I'll start my regime. And, um, yeah, we know that most New Year's resolutions don't last. It's not a resolution that people, people need a revolution. And a revolution is where you don't go back. I think a resolution is when you go around in a circle, which invariably people do. And where most people, let's be honest, where most people will be this time next year is a very similar place to where, where they are now. They'll be a year older. Their health will not be as good as it was because they're on a downward trend because they're not, they're not on a revolution. And, and we know that it takes a revolution of mind, of body, of spirit for some people to change their life. You know, a new resolution is just, it's not, it's just a waste of time for most people, right? 100%. I think what we see is very common, and particularly in the fitness world, is that people start this whole New Year's resolution for maybe not the right reasons and not with any structure. And then come the end of January, 1st of Feb, it's like a, it's gone like the wind, like they've forgotten about it and it's done and over already. Well, you know, one of the things I think I, I love to say to people, I said, imagine if you go to a bookmaker's and you went in there and you said, hello, I want to lose weight, be healthy and be stronger than I've ever been in my entire life. Could you please give me odds on this? So basically what they do is, like a horse, they look at your form. And then, you know, what odds would they give you? Well, in most cases, especially if it was to not only make these changes, but to keep these changes, right? Because most people can make change, but they tend to invariably go back to what they know. We know that most bookmakers would say, well, it's a thousand to one. You know, it's so unlikely this is going to happen. But we've all heard this thing, you know, when your why is big enough, then you can, you'll find the how. And I, I don't actually believe that either. I think that's quite a lot of nonsense. You know, I think it's important to have a why, but you need something much bigger than a why. And that's if you need a who. You know, and what I mean by that is in my background, look, I'm like you, right? I'm older than you. I started in the fitness industry in 1989. Um, I worked in a gym. I, I couldn't believe that I was given this job. I was studying sports science. I, I honestly, I was so insecure. Um, I couldn't believe they gave me, this guy Colin gave me a job, but he saw something in me, you know, enthusiasm, and I wanted to impress, you know, I wanted to make a difference. So you sit down, you put someone in a room, they join the gym, you do their assessment, you know, their flexibility, their VO2 max, their body fat, you give them a piece of paper that basically says, you know, poor, poor average. Then you show them these instruments of torture and they don't come back. And there's a few reasons for it. One, they don't like it. They don't associate themselves with someone who's fit. But the biggest thing I found so fascinating looking back is they didn't know what they wanted. And I didn't know that either. But what they were telling me was how uncomfortable they were, 
the fact that they you know they had enough you know they, the belt was having to go on an extra thing you know or they couldn't they, they something happened which pushed them to the point of joining to the gym normally it's some sort of pain or diagnosis or prognosis and that's enough right but very few people knew who the person was that they needed to be and that sounds weird for some people but as, as a sports psychologist which I was I don't call myself that anymore because I'm, I'm not accredited anymore but I, I used to be I studied sports psychology you work with an athlete and you ask the athlete well what do you want and they'll tell you invariably it's winning well okay if you can't identify with the person who's won then we don't start chipping away at bringing that person into the world you might as well not bother it's not going to happen and that's the thing I find most interesting is those sort of conversations around okay what do you want who is that person that's got what you want because right now you are not that person you are not that person and you might change for a bit but invariably what's going to happen is you're going to be who you were before and you'll be worse you'll be heavier you'll be more overweight history has a pattern of repeating itself until there's a revolution that sounds like a big um, a big spiel there I'm preaching away no I like it there but it's one of the things I'm a big believer in is like 80% psychology and 20% mechanics and people need to change their thought process in terms of thinking about just losing weight or getting in shape and thinking about who is the person who like, what does the person do on a daily basis? Who's in awesome shape? Like the person you want to look like in say six months time, what does that person do on a daily basis? What are their habits? And if you focus on creating those habits and just becoming that person, you will then achieve the results you want as a byproduct rather than just thinking, I need to work out and eat right, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it's, it's boring, right? I, yeah. I, I actually think now that for most people, it's boring. The whole idea of process, 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 where why not just go crazy and gorge on everything that you want to? And that's why, you know, I, you know I've, I've worked, as you know, I've, I've worked with some of these top like bodybuilders and I watched them shred right and then literally after they shred they and athletes are the same what was the name of the boxer uh, tyson fury is a classic example of one the other guy who was from manchester oh, ricky hatton ricky hatton you just see these extremes and that's not healthy you know that's why a lot of people will drink and eat as much as they can so that they then exercise to kind of allow themselves to do that and that's not for me to say that it's right or wrong but if you really want to be fit and healthy forever Oh, for as long as you're here, then there is a price to pay for that. And I think most people have addictions. I mean, I'm addicted to um, to sugar. You know, no question about it. And I've had to work really, I've had to make a decision that, you know, no more. That's who I decided I need to be. Are people really prepared to give it up? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do when it's very addictive. What was the point? This is an interesting topic. What was the point for you where you realized, A, you had an, an addiction, and then B, that you were then going to take action on that? Because this is probably very interesting for a lot of people who are listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't understand that people like yourself, me, have these same challenges that other people have. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Now, now I want to ask you about you. So, but let, let me tell you, my brother, my brother's a psychotherapist, and we were talking about gambling. And I, I said, you know, I told him years ago I'd been gambling. And he just said to me, I'm addicted to gambling. And I went, really? He goes, yeah, that's why I don't do it. And that, just in that, gave me a big shift of, yeah, I am an addict. I'm the sort of person I could go to a casino and I like roulette. I like the excitement of I played three machines as a kid. 
and I, you know, I used to love to see the money come out. We used to get on a bus for like 45 minutes to go to a kebab shop to go and play on a fruit machine. Three of us lose all our money, then go out in the street and ask people to lend us 10p to get the bus home. And then often we go back into the kebab shop and put the money back in again, you know? And it was a, 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 the cycle of doing something that was exciting. For me, sugar, when I first had money, that was the first thing I did. You know, it makes you feel good. But the thing that really struck me and made me change this, look, I'm, again, I'm like you. I am fascinated with how do you make things work? Whatever it is, in business, in life, in health, I'm, I'm obsessed with solutions. What is the problem? What is the solution? I will find a solution. If I can't, I'll find someone who can. So with what I found in psychology is there's four things that really you find in, in religion, in philosophy, in popular psychology, where everyone agrees. It's like every, all nutritionists might say vegan, meat, but everyone agrees on vegetables, green vegetables. I don't think any nutritionist will say green vegetables are bad. So where everyone agrees in terms of philosophy of, of fulfillment and happiness, it boils down to courage, wisdom, the wisdom of experience, wisdom that has passed on to you. Does I didn't say courage? Justice, yeah. standing up for the rights of other people and temperance, self-control. And people don't talk about it, but Martin Seligman, who's like the forefather of popular psychology, he, he spent years going down the wrong hole trying to find out about life satisfaction and realized that people are more unhappy than they've ever been because they were trying to measure happiness by how satisfied people are. And his work on, on virtues, he's got this thing that you do, it like, takes about 10 minutes and it shows you your virtues. And it takes the core six and splits them into 24. And for me, self-regulation is 23. I found it again yesterday, 23 or 24. So what does that mean? I have to be very careful, right? I've got control with a lot of things, but I've got attention deficit disorder, apparently, dyslexia. So I was always saying things like, oh, if there's sugar in the house, hide it. And then I just realized I'm putting myself in a position of weakness. I want to be strong in that area. And with people I coach, there's one guy who I saw the other day who came to my house, never met him before. I've helped him a lot. Self-regulation is number three on his 24. And I've never met anyone who is in their, in their top five. And I just thought, I've helped him. I need to be an example to him. So for the last nine weeks, I've not eaten any rice, any pasta, any bread, any potatoes. You know what? And the thing I notice more than anything else, when I go to the toilet now, I'm really proud of what is coming out. <laughs> but that's me. And I'm not here to say my way is your way because that's none of my business. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Christmas is coming. Or by the time this comes out, it'll be the new year. My goal is I'm not going to eat. I'll have roast potatoes on Christmas Day. You know, that's my choice. But what about you? Because I'm, I'm curious about... About what you just said. So it's interesting in terms of having an addictive personality because I'm very much down that street. And I think I am a big believer, not necessarily it's a good thing, but I think you should, if you push things to the limit in life, you then realize like when you push it too far, like this is really bad. And it gives you an example of overeating and doing all the things that you shouldn't do, like why you need to not do those. For example, when I was younger, I used to be overweight and I used to work out loads but at the weekend i'd go nuts and think that i could do the whole cheat day thing eat whatever i wanted because i was going to the, the quote gym and in reality it took me probably two to three years to almost probably break out of that vicious cycle and it took a big change for me probably the first time 
I competed and did a fitness show it was the first time I realized like this is where you were really screwing yourself up. It was just these like one to two days out of a seven day week that was just compromising everything. And I think as soon as you connect yeah. those dots in your head of like, it is very powerful. And now, now for me more so is actually in terms of my relationship with food is like how I like clarity of thought and how my brain thinks or feels. I don't want to be feeling slow and lethargic. So often I won't want to eat I don't junk food like cheesecake and things like that because the next day I know I'll break, I wake up and my brain will feel like almost like brain fog and that I hate more than the actual being worried about trying to burn the calories off, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, the whole thing about, I wrote a book into that, I've written 20 books, right? And a lot of the books, they're outdated. I don't agree with a lot of what I said. I wrote a book in 2003 called Habit Busting, which was published in multiple languages. And there are much better books that have now been written on that subject, like Atomic Habits, uh, habits by Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. What I find really interesting is what is now known as habit suicide. So if you do something habitually and then you stop doing it for like a day or two days, good luck in getting that one going again. You know, like if it's two days, it's like it's tough. And it's we're not designed to live in this modern world. We, we, we have adapted to it, but we're not designed to live in it. We, we can... There's too much information. There's too much temptation. I mean, look, one of the oldest stories in the history of man is Adam and Eve. What's that about? Well, I don't know what it means to you, but basically the story for me is don't do that. You know, and then what do they do? I mean, it's weird that it's fruit, but don't get into temptation. Even the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Well, I don't know if, if you believe in God and if God could actually stop you from picking up that can of beer and drinking it, but I know you can, is whether you want to. And, you know, the, the, the stats are scary because... In America, I was reading in a book called The Joy of Movement, 97.3% of Americans are unhealthy by four basic measures, right? So they either smoke, body fat, if they're a female, is over 30, male, 20, over 20. They uh, don't eat a balanced diet. They don't do 150 minutes of moderate exercise. That's 97.3. And I wonder what it's like all around. Well, it's got to be the same. Australia is, I remember when I studied sports science, Australia was like one of the healthiest countries in the world. If you go there, it's like, when I went there a few years ago, I was like, what is going on here? There are extremes, really fit people, but there are some people there that are, have given in to this lifestyle of, which causes one thing, inflammation. Now there's a new word in the medical literature called inflammaging, which is as you age, you are more prone to inflammation. I don't want to die young. I don't want, my dad, when he was dying, he said to me, I don't want to end up in a, in, being like the people he was pointing to who were gone. How many, I, again, I could talk about this for a long time, but the last thing I'll say on this is that I was working with Southampton Hospital and the chief medical, I asked the chief medical officer, how many people in this hospital are here because of lifestyle choices? And he went probably about 75%. So it's, that's the thing that separates us from other animals is, is choice. The easiest choice for us to make I would say is a choice that we've made before or a choice which gives us the biggest dopamine hit, the biggest initial something now in the moment. Most of us aren't playing the long game. You're playing the long game. I'm playing the long game. You know, we want results now, but we realize how the results aren't going to happen now. They're only going to happen in playing the long game. 100%. I think there's two things I think I take from that. Number one is pretty much nearly all decisions we make are really driven by dopamine. So from business perspective, people are looking for, I don't know, for example, a lot of people listening to this probably trade crypto. They're looking to try and make quick dopamine hits from making money from that. Yeah. And from food, food, sex, alcohol, drugs, all, like everything is related back to that. 
And when you start to think about that, it's very powerful because then you can start to become quite aware of it, which I think is very valuable. It's so fascinating. The whole concept of winning. I, I mean, the drive to win is more powerful than any other drive. It's more powerful than sex, I believe. And the, the science kind of backs this up. Winning is something which is genetically wired. We have to win. You know, we are God, the Greeks called it teleological. Everything we do is for a goal, it's for an outcome, it's for an aim, everything. We go to the toilet, there's an outcome we're looking for. You know, there's an outcome that you're looking for from this podcast, for it to be a good podcast, to go out, to inspire people. Everything that we do, the challenge is what are the outcomes that will give you the greatest fulfillment over time? That whole crypto thing is, you know, recently I've just bought, I've bought into, you know, some of these new currencies which are performing brilliantly, you know, manner. Uh, I don't even know what these things are called. Yeah, I saw it sold down yesterday. It went up like 20%. Yeah. And hey. sand, what's the other one? Sand. sand. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's great. But look at the excitement. You and I are excited yeah. about it. But I'm lucky. I've got a financial advisor and I, I talked to him about this stuff. And he says, I'm not interested in, in the short terms. I'm interested in the long terms, you know. So that Bitcoin, I think, is, is still a fairly, well, we say long term. <laughs> Who knows? But it's a game. I look at all of this as a game. And, I want to play the game in a way where I'm always working on something. This is the thing about winning, and this is really important. If you look at the etymology of the word win, it doesn't always mean an outcome. Winning is an ongoing process. So as long as we're striving and struggling towards something, we're winning. I mean, what do you do when you win? Do you, do you stop? That's why a lot of athletes, you know, I know loads of athletes, they go into a depression when they stop. Because they don't know who they are. They don't know, who, what, what do I do? Where do I go? Who am I? I was this person. We have to reinvent ourselves. If we want to make, I believe, lasting change, I reckon you are almost unrecognizable to the person that you were before. You don't do what you did before, right? So if I looked at you now, like you said, if you looked at me 20, 30 years ago drinking, you know, I can drink seven, eight, nine, ten pints a night, have a kebab, go home, get up, go to the gym, teach a class, I could do all of that. I can't do that now. I could do it, but I'd be screwed for a week, you know? And it's like we are fundamentally, I'm embarrassed by who I was, not in a condescending way. We massively underestimate how much we've changed, and I think we hugely underestimate who we could actually become. It's just that's where the work is. That's where the work in becoming, right? Who are you becoming? I'm becoming better. That's what I want. Is that what you want? Do you want to be better? 100%. I think it's just looking for the the process of evolving and trying to be better than the person you were yesterday. And I think it just comes down to changing your psychology in that thought process. And I think I was thinking about it then when you referred back to yourself when you were younger. And I look back to maybe now, I don't <laughs> know, when I was 18, 20. And I think psychologically I was weak then because I didn't have the ability to stick to anything or the patience to really adhere and i think that's the biggest issue people have is that they don't have the ability to keep pushing at something even if they're not seeing immediate results because inherently whatever is good for us in the short term is generally probably very bad for us in the long term and whatever whatever is like painful in the short term we don't see an immediate reward from in the long term is probably going to be very very good for you yeah and you said in a nutshell there's, there's never been a better time to live in some respects i'd say just in terms of opportunity possibilities I mean, there's never been more entrepreneurial millionaires. There's never been, but is the answer, you know, what you have. I, I, I would say, what, what will be your greatest achievement? Will it be how much money you've made? I, I don't know. 
for me, my biggest achievement will be who I become. As Gandhi said, right? I talk about this a lot. When Gandhi, when Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world, I often ask people, what do you think he meant by that? Because the story of Gandhi is that he was from India. He went to the UK, studied law. He was terrible. He was a terrible lawyer. I think he, he, he got his first case was a joke. He went to South Africa. I'm not sure exactly why. He was on a train and a whites only section. And he was basically told to move. Get up, move. You can't sit here. You're not white. So he goes to the Indian only section. And that pissed him off. And then he started to help Indian people in South Africa. And then he thought, well, what else can I do? And, you know, he's the first person, as far as we know in history, that stopped the British Empire through non-violence. And someone said to him, that you can't do that. It's never happened before. And he's like, well, so what? Well, I thought, what I think he did is that he worked out who he actually needed to be. Who was that person? Because he couldn't be this person. He had to be that person. And I wouldn't imagine that was an easy task. And he died, he, you know, he died after the the declaration came the next day he died and I, i'm not saying that we should all be prepared to die for what it is that we want to do but what price are we prepared to pay to get what we want and i obviously i know you in terms of i wonder what price you've had to pay in order to be where you are today because i don't reckon it's been as rocky would say sunshine and rainbows right no, failed attempts but it's like what what let me ask you because i'm genuinely curious what is driving you? What's driving you now? What was driving you? And what's, is it the same thing as what's driving you now? So it's very interesting. So I work a lot with a psychologist to try and help improve this because I'm a big believer in terms of improving your mindset and the way you firstly think about yourself to give you more clarity planning forwards. And I would say I'm very much originally was driven by fear and fear of failure and fear of not becoming who I want to be. So there's a saying I really like, it's like the day you die, you get to meet the person you could have become. And when you start to think like that, it's really powerful because then you realize the only person you're actually letting down is yourself. So from my side of things, it's literally about how can I improve and continue to keep evolving because the goals I have and whatever I want to achieve in life, I realize that to achieve those, I need to become that person first and then I will achieve those goals rather than trying to achieve the goals to become that person, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and that's a conversation which a lot of people just don't have. And that's a, the whole thing about identity. I mean, this is my, my thing, right? It has been for the last couple of years. It's like personality. If you look at personality and personality testing and you look at, you kind of look into that, you think, who came up with this idea? You know, like the Myers-Briggs and some of the discs. It's like, it's nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's just... I mean, it's based on what some people might call pseudoscience, you know. I mean, there's probably some nice ideas in it, but when you label yourself, I am this type of a person, I think, well, hang on. No, no, what does that actually mean? I don't believe in personality types. I believe in personality traits. I, I know I've got traits in myself. I'm like a, I remember reading this once, um, you can't unpickle a pickle, right? I've been pickled. You've been pickled. We went to school. We grew up. We've had experience. A lot of it's probably been traumatic. So we have to work with what we've got to a certain extent, right? But then what can you do with what you have? That's what fascinates me. The word identity means the state of being the same. So we, 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 this is going back to your original point that people will wake up on January the 1st. They might have intention, but intention isn't enough. Intention is never enough, I don't think, because with intention comes voluntary delay. <laughs> then comes the knowing that, shit, I could have done that. And that's what procrastination is. 
And procrastination is, this is all based on how we feel. And again, the work around what drives behavior is feeling. Feelings follow, your, your actions are followed by how you feel and your actions dictate your identity. I'm not interested in that anymore. I don't care about how I feel about certain things. It, it doesn't enter the equation, like exercising, right? I don't feel like exercising a lot of the time. But what the hell has that got to do with whether I do it or not? It's got nothing to do with it. It doesn't even come into the equation. It does, but I'm not going to let it take over because I identify with someone who is fit and healthy. And that's the challenge, one of the many challenges. And I admire you because you're obviously someone who's looking to get better, who's prepared to put your hand up and say, you know, I need some help with this because figuring this shit out on your own is not easy. It's only, it's so much easier when you get help from others, you collaborate with others. You and I have collaborated. You know, it's like, that's co-laboring. And if, if you tell me who you're becoming, then I can hold you account to that person. And that's what Napoleon Hill was talking about in the, most, the second most important principle of success, according to him was the mastermind alliance. Who's in your sphere of influence? Who's supporting you unconditionally as we go and support ourselves? So i kind of gone down a few different roads there, but ultimately, if you can't learn to like you did, to identify with the person that you need to be, and then as you build a relationship with that person, understand that you're always going to have thoughts. You need to watch your thoughts because if you don't watch them, they'll turn into emotions, they'll turn into feelings, and your feelings can take over the show. This thing is not the master anymore for most people. This is. The body has taken over. And think about it. When we learn to walk, this body didn't have a say in any of it. It just had to do what this was telling it to do. And you'd fall over, it would hurt, but the mind is going, no, 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 get up, let's go. Now we've all gotten older, you have a thought, like, oh, I don't know whether I can do this, that results in a feeling that's so strong, it convinces you that you were right. <laughs> and then you think the same thought again, and then you're paralyzed by your body. And the, for me, the power is in the observing of the experience of being a human being. And people have spoken about that for thousands of years, you know, but it's not an, always, it's not an easy thing to do with these things and there's, there's so much information to be able to, to stop you know, and observe the experience of being you. It's very deep, right? Very deep. One of the things I like to do is I like to study and almost mimic people who are very, very successful. And if you look at people who are very successful, they <laughs> tend to live like very quiet lives with not a lot of noise around them. So they try and have not a lot of distractions and like not so many people have access to them. Because I think the issue we have now, uh, no matter who you are, is we have a lot more overstimulation with so many different things thrown at you constantly, like phone notifications, emails, people calling you, whatever it might be, that I think people get very scatter, scatterbrained. And I think that causes a real issue with people having anxiety, overwhelm, and they're saying they can't do things. And what I find mm. a lot of people actually need is to become more aware of how they talk about themselves. So I went to a business event in Glasgow, and there were a lot of people, like two, three days ago, and there was a lot of people there talking about feeling overwhelmed and overworked and overstressed. and like if you start to say that you feel a certain way, it will become true because you yeah. like you're agreeing with it. Whereas it like a saying I like is the word um, equanimity, which is like the thought process in terms of basically like, I like think it's like being unfuckable where nothing phases you. So you're always calm no matter what the situation is. And that's mm -hmm. why I keep thinking to myself whenever I start to get stressed, stressed with anything. It's just like, 
and when you become aware of it, you can almost like try and flip that switch back off, which I think is very powerful. It's that concept around being anti-fragile, you know, just like you can't break me. And that takes training. I work with a lot of very young golfers. Well, I say very young. They're 16 to 21-year-old golfers. They're all either doing a degree or they're doing a BTEC where they do 50% golf, 50% education. And I was a director of this golf school like 15 years ago. I worked there for like five years. I left. I was just recently asked to go back. And there's a good friend of mine who's, who needed my help. So, so I, went, I went in. And I realized now more than ever that what got these golfers here, it ain't going to get them there. They're going to have to reinvent themselves. And whether they want to do that or not, it's none of my business. I know that they'll be embarrassed when they look back because I've filmed some of the sessions I've done and you see some of them because they've just come from school. You know, they're like, and I know they'll look back and I know that, but I still can't make that decision for them. I still can't. I want to, but I can't. And um, it's really fascinating when you, you just open up to that whole thing of who could we actually be but there is a price to pay. You know, that, like you said, the physical training that we do, the mental training is really where it's at, right? Well, the body will only go where the mind takes it. I know it's corny, but the same thing you said, like, you know, it made me smile. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to exercise a lot of time. A lot of time I can't be asked either and I don't want to do it. But I know that if I don't do it, I'll feel worse because I feel guilty that I haven't done what I'm supposed to, supposed to do, which is taking me further away from the person I want to become, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, there's, there's, in this book, The Joy of Movement, Kelly McGonigal talks about this new research that shows something that is known as hope molecules, that when you actually exercise, your muscles secrete something known as hope molecules. So just before we came onto the podcast, I, I got the time slightly wrong, and I just said to you, look, I just need to, to I need to just do some press-ups, right? Why? Well, it's not because I want a big chest. It's nice having a strong chest. I mean, I used to spend two hours working on my chest about 20 years ago. You know, now I can just, you know, four or five minutes, a few press-ups. But I'm not doing it for that. That's the secondary game. The first game is I just want to be pumped. I want the cells of my body to be going. And, you know, I know that. I'm so pleased I got got to introduce you to um, Dr. Rakowski because Rakowski is, in terms of gods, right, in the fitness industry, in the health industry. I mean, he's, this guy's a god. And he is, he's so, he inspires me because he really practices what he preaches. And, you know, I met him when my wife was given 18 months to live 11 years ago, you know. And um, it's so important to have people around you that inspire you. This is something, there were two things that you said. One is about comparison. That's a dangerous game. And that's where a lot of people are struggling because they're comparing themselves to everyone. What you said is, I'm comparing myself to who I'm becoming. You know, I know we do still look at other people, you know, kind of it's a human trait, but it's like, it's not really that important. You can get to the place where your comparison is how much you're shaping up to who you want to be. And then, which is something I had to learn how to do, competition. I feel I'm in competition with you but not in a way where I want to beat you. I can't beat you. I want to see you succeed. I want to see you because it inspires me to, to work hard. You said something before there, which really inspired me. Again, just about clear the decks, simplify the battlefield. Let's do some deep work. And I, did, I wanted to thank you for that because that was kind of like almost just what I, I tidied up a bit here yesterday. I need to tidy up a bit more. I've got a project I'm working on that I'm going to film all of the next week uh, behind me here. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's like one of the greatest things. Again, this came from actually learning 
and uh, modeling other people. I watched a guy called Imen Gazi's yeah. uh, YouTube video on it. And literally, I deleted everything off my computer desktop. So I've got no icons of them, like two. My phone has got like two apps on it on the home screen. And then like everything is just clear and it's just removing yeah. noise and distractions from your brain. And like, I actually want to go to the point now where I said to my wife, I was like, can you buy me like seven black long sleeved shirts? And I was going to wear the same thing every day. So then it's just, I know it's a bit OCD, but I actually think I, I work at home and I think it just takes, I don't, I don't care what I wear at home and I'm working. So it just, it's one less thing to think about. It, well, I would call that simplifying the battlefield. Mm. You know, it's like, again, using golf as an analogy. If you think about a golf course, what is a golf course? Well, it's something that is designed specifically to destroy you. That's why they have things like the bunker, the trap, out of bounds. But they also have, it's also designed to bring out the best in you. And again, you just inspired me. I've not got too much on my screen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you just said. I'm going to, I am actually going to simplify my phone. You know, you see those apps. Yeah, that's right. That, that gives me anxiety. Yeah, no, it's just like, hang on, there's too much information. I remember studying neuro-linguistic programming in the 90s, and there's that whole thing of, right, remember remember this number, 39743214321415. The brain goes, what? If it's just a few bits of information, you could remember it. But there's too much information. And actually, thank you again, because I realized that there is this big thing around, around pressure at the moment and people feeling pressure under pressure you know and it's like well let's get on top of that how do you get on top of it you've got to simplify what's going on as much as you can because the world is very complicated too much information so you have to you, it was um, the first self-development book i read by zig ziglar your your inputs they shape your outputs so yeah something else on that lines i think it's interesting something we do today is I don't know if you've heard the expression having open loops, but it's basically where you've started something or you know there's something you've got to do. So like I've got tons of admin things, including speeding ticket, which is wonderful, that I need to that I need to deal with. And they're psychologically almost floating around in the back of your mind. And what you really want to try and do is get all these loops closed and all these things done because then it gives you clarity of thought and mind rather than having all these things almost hanging over you, which is I think when people then end up feeling like they have a lot of pressure on them, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, one of the most well-known people in the world in terms of productivity is a guy called Dave Allen. His method is called GTD, getting things done. And again, everything you've said falls into that. I love what he said about if something takes less than two minutes, just do it. Mel Robbins has written a book called The Five Second Rule. I mean, it's so obvious that if, if, if there's something to do and you don't act on it, then hesitation and self-doubt comes in. She says five, four, three, two, one, which seems to activate the prefrontal cortex of the brain that goes, okay, what? Five, four, three, two, one. Just get started. Get in the game. Get in the game. I, 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 we were involved with some studies where, I mean, there's, there's two, but one is fascinating around putting people in an fMRI machine and asking them to think of themselves. You see a part of the brain light up. Then you ask them to think of a stranger. You see a different part of the brain light up. Then you ask them to think of themselves in the future. For most people, the stranger part of the brain lights up. What that means to me is people don't have an association with their future self. They have an association with where they are, and then they just keep repeating that. That's why people get into debt. That's why people get their health, because they're not, they're not aware. Of, they think they're aware of the consequences, but they're not really aware. I mean, really, if you took someone and you, and you actually show, like Dickens, you know, Christmas Carol, 
you actually took someone and said, hey, let me show you how this is all going to end up. I think a lot of people would wake up to the fact that I don't want that. But then you've still got to know, well, what do you want? But the thing I was going to say was, was there's other studies have shown like children that don't like maths, you wire their brains up and you see pain receptors coming off when they think about maths. But once they start, the pain goes away. Just get in the game. Just get started. It's your body that's resisting it because you don't feel like it. Just get in the game. It's just a game. Don't wait and think, well, I don't feel like it. You could spend your whole life saying that, I don't feel like it. No, if, well, if you want it, great, enjoy it. Otherwise, get in the game. Get in the game. It's just a game. But let's play the game by your rules, not by someone else's rules, which is one of the biggest challenges that most of us have grown up. Our parents, our religions, our education. This is who you need to be. This is how the game you need to play. I'm not playing that game. I want to play my game, which is obviously exactly... That's all you're about. If I said, if someone said to me, tell me about Charlie, I said, Charlie's a man who's, who's playing his own game, you know, and you can't, you couldn't stop him because this is who he is. This is what he's, you could help him. You could support him. I don't know whether everyone wants to do that. I, I'd like to think that they do, but you know what? I might, I think I'm probably wrong. I think some people maybe, I think a lot of people have limiting beliefs in what they can achieve. And I think one of the most powerful things probably to finish on, I think people need to be aware of is, I think the most amazing thing is when you learn the skill, which I think it is a skill to do something you don't want to do yet. You can still make yourself do it over and over and over again. Cause like as yeah. soon as you can learn that it's, you can achieve anything. I'm again, I'm very grateful um, for what you're saying because we're, we're launching something around like start one, stop one. Um, and this whole concept of getting the game, what can you start doing? And what can you sort of like swapping? But, but the magic is, once the honeymoon period wears off, that you get into the fighting season of where you have to fight through something. But once you can get through that point, like you just said there, which is huge, to get yourself to do something that you don't feel like doing and get good at that, it's game over for most people in terms of you, you become a completely different human being. 100%. And that's when you become a completely different human being, that's when the game really begins because then you realize like life is limitless. Yeah, and um, I've only feel I mean, I'm 51. You know, I'm 52 in this in 2022. I just feel like you know what, well, I've just got started. People ask me about all the things I've done, and it's like really, it's not really that important. You know, to me, it's not. It's like it's a distant memory. What, what do I want to do? And I've got some big goals, big dreams, big ambitions. So yeah, let's do this. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, so Pete. That was super inspiring for everyone coming into the new year. Uh, for people to find out a bit more information about you, obviously you're, you've got your own podcast, Instagram. Do you want to share the details of those? Yeah, then just go check me out on Instagram. Um, my Instagram has gone crazy over the last, since focusing on it and just thinking about the messaging. Yeah, my podcast is called My365. I've got a free 30-day program, which 7,000 people have signed up to. Only 3.5% of people complete it. It's very easy to start things, you know, the, the challenge is to go through the start, through the fighting season. Uh, that program is all about becoming the person that you want to be. And uh, you just go to mi365.me, check it out. But thank you so much, uh, Charlie. I want to get you on my podcast as well because I think the world could learn a lot from you, my friend. The force is strong in you. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's something I'm working on. So it's, again, compounding interest over time. So you put, put the right daily actions, it'll improve as you go. That's called identity capital. Yeah. You know, we invest into everything else, but if you invest in, invest in your identity of the person you're becoming, kind of David Goggins kind of has a similar way of looking at this, seeing what you've done. I'm investing in me. 
because no one else is going to do that in a way that I need to do it for me to fulfill. I mean, what will be the greatest achievement you'll ever have in your life? I'd like to think it is the person that you become. So thank you for the opportunity, Charlie. I appreciate you. No pleasure. Thank you so much.